Good morning. Today will be our last lesson on our theme, The Mind of Christ. Tomorrow, I plan to do what we have done the last couple of years and read a psalm for Friday. Yesterday, we learned that God protects his temple, or his people, and he will destroy those who seek to destroy his temple. We also learned that the greatest threat was from within, from those who profess the name of Christ, but who are also divisive and worldly in their thinking. In today's scripture, Paul will return to the theme of godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom, and he will offer two exhortations to the believers in Corinth. He will exhort them to abandon their reliance on the wisdom of the world and embrace the foolishness of Christ, which is in fact real wisdom, and he will exhort them not to boast in men, but rather to boast in Christ. Listen now as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 through 23. Let no one deceive himself. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. We begin with the first exhortation. Paul says, let no one deceive himself. Notice that Paul is not concerned here with someone coming from the outside and leading the Corinthians astray. Not that that wasn't a danger. It was, but Paul wants to make sure they don't deceive themselves. Well, how would one deceive himself? Well, Paul says by thinking that they are wise in this age. While Paul doesn't state it explicitly, I think it is clear that Paul does not believe that the world will think and act in a way that is consistent with God's revealed design for the world and for mankind. In fact, it can't, because it believes the wisdom of God to be foolishness. It would be impossible to go through all of the ways that we could possibly be guilty of thinking that we are wise in this age. But what we all need to do is to realize that we are susceptible to this. And when we see this worldly thinking creeping into our life, we need to respond biblically. What is the biblical response? What are believers commanded to do? Paul says, become a fool according to this world to become truly wise. Paul then shows us God's perspective on man's wisdom. First of all, the world's wisdom is folly to God. Paul does not go into specifics here trying to distinguish particular ways the world thinks it's wise. And I believe that is because Paul understood that every culture values different things. He's already told us that Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. What we must do is put on the mind of Christ, which is strengthened through the study of God's word, and evaluate the specific things our culture values in light of God's word. We do this knowing that the world's values are probably not going to be consistent with God's word and wisdom. He next tells us that God is not fooled by the world's wisdom, but catches the wise in their craftiness. A number of the Psalms lament the fact that the world in its wisdom seems to be getting away with wickedness, oppression, greed, and blasphemy. In Psalm 10, the attitude of the world is presented this way. 
the world says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. When the people of God give in to the wisdom of the world, it could be that they think it works because the world seems to be getting away with it after all. They may wonder if God does see and care. But in the same psalm, the psalmist rejoices, saying, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is what Paul means when he says that God catches the wise in their craftiness. And finally, God sees the wisdom of the world as futile. It is easy to fall into the trap of using worldly wisdom because it seems to work. But Paul, quoting Psalm 94, says that the wisdom of the world is futile. And in Psalm 37, David reminds us, Fret not because of evildoers. Be not anxious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. To Paul's point, the wisdom of the world is futile. Paul then gives a second exhortation. Do not boast in men. This goes back to chapter 1, where Paul rebuked the Corinthians for breaking into factions around certain men, probably as a way of exerting power over others. Paul gives a blanket command, don't boast in men. The only hope for the world is Jesus Christ, and he and he alone should be who we boast in. I think in this election year, this is an important truth for us to remember. He then goes on to say that all things belong to the believers. We don't boast in men because all things belong to us. Because Jesus Christ is Lord and King, the believer does not lack anything he needs. Let's look briefly at everything believers have in Christ, the things that Paul mentions here. He says, Paul, Apollos, and Cephas were merely servants pointing to Christ. The believers in Corinth don't need to break into factions around these men. What these men proclaimed belongs to all believers. Paul says that believers have the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he will tell the Corinthians, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He says that believers have life. In Galatians 2.20, we have this beautiful promise. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have overcome death. Again in 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 15, Paul says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And finally, Paul says that believers have the present 
and the future. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians that even now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and one day when he comes again in glory, his might and his immeasurable grace will be revealed through us. But then it goes even further. He says that believers have all of these things, but our ultimate comfort comes from knowing that we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And since we belong to him, he will not hesitate to give us everything we need in this life and the next. When we contemplate what we have in Christ, it becomes obvious why the wisdom of the world is a fruitless pursuit. Let us trust in the wisdom of God, putting on the mind of Christ. Today, when we pray, I will pray for our rhetoric school, students, parents, faculty. And since this is the last study in our Mind of Christ series, it would probably be a good day to go back and listen to May the Mind of Christ My Savior on the GSB Hymn playlist, which is located on Spotify. Join me as we pray. Father, we are grateful that we have made it to this halfway point of the first quarter. Uh, you have blessed us. Uh, there were many challenges going into it, but you have shown yourself to be faithful. And for that, we give you great thanks. Father, I pray today for our rhetoric school. I pray for the students, for the families, uh, for the faculty, for the staff, for the administration. I pray that you would grant them uh, peace and wisdom going forward and into the days that are to come. Pray that uh, as we desire for our graduates, they would grow into disciples of Jesus Christ. And I pray that the work we do every day leads to that end so that we are equipped and you are glorified. We thank you. Be with us now as we go into this day. Help us to use every moment for the glory of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.